The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen, and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what is bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you, a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. We hear today the rich man and Lazarus. Now, in this story, uh, a parable, although some people question whether it's a parable or whether it's a real story that Jesus is talking about. We'll just take it as a parable, as a story of what it is. But this parable and story is, reveals much about what uh, our theology on understanding what the afterlife is like. Now, certainly, when we tell stories or parables, we're often trying to get across perhaps one meaning, and there are other parts of it that really don't fit into the story, per se. But Jesus knew more than, I think, just that one point. And we can actually, even though that he's trying to get across the point that riches aren't our way necessarily into heaven, there's a lot more that we pull from it. Now, I I think this is the main point in some ways because in the Jewish culture, uh, how you knew if you were in right standing with God or not is if you were rich. If if everything that you did was, was successful, then you knew that God was blessing you and that you were good to go, right? And if you were poor, well, the reason for that was is because you had sinned. And Jesus is upending that, right? And saying, well, that's not exactly everything that goes into it. But there's also a lot more that we hear in this story. And so I'd like to just kind of break it down and kind of say, well, what are some other things that maybe you heard and you've heard 
plenty of times that you don't quite understand or all the implications for what's here. First of all, he's talking about a rich man. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know whether you noticed this, but he doesn't get a name, right? The poor man gets a name. He's known Lazarus. The rich man is just a rich man, right? Who dressed in purple garments, purple garments being this extravagant, right? Extravagant. The purple dyeing process was extremely expensive, extremely difficult. And so we knew that he was wearing the finest garments, right? And he wore that every day. And he even wore very fine underwear. Because that this word fine linen in Greek is linked to underwear. And so he not only wore outwardly, lavishly, but he even wore very nice underwear, right? Because he just had that much money. Now he also dined sumptuously each day. Now, of course, you know, of course he's, he's rich, so he's eating. But even observant, rich Jewish people would on Saturday, the Sabbath, would allow their servants to rest as well because that's part of the commandments of God. But this man was so rich and didn't really care about God's commandments that he would have his servants serve him even on the Sabbath. It was tradition to have a simpler meal on the Sabbath, something that didn't require work. But he, in, a, you know, in his richness, in his haughtiness, in his arrogance even on the Sabbath, dined sumptuously. Now, at his door was a name named Lazarus, right, covered with sores, and he would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps. Now, these scraps from his table, which obviously were there, right, he, he dined sumptuously, and they weren't able to exactly take the leftovers and put them in the fridge. And so often what they would have with the leftovers in abundance, would they would feed them to the dogs, And so you just think of this, that the leftovers are given to the dogs, and here at his door was a name named Lazarus. Now also within the Greek, which we don't really understand, is that Lazarus is actually laid. So it's not lying as in that he is lying at the door, but actually he's laid at the door. Somebody else laid him at the door, that Lazarus' friends probably brought him there, that Lazarus couldn't even... Uh, do that, but it would have been each day his friends would have brought him and laid him there, hoping that the rich man would see him and maybe just give him the scraps. But yet he'd even do that, right? And staying on the front door, the rich man, instead of giving him fills, stepped over him, right? You can almost kind of imagine that Lazarus at the front door, and, and that's why they laid him there, so that the rich man couldn't miss him. But yet he did, he just ignored him. Now, interestingly enough, the rich man didn't kick Lazarus off of his doorstep. He didn't do anything wrong to Lazarus in the sense that he, didn't, he wasn't mean to him, right? He didn't call him names or anything, or at least nothing that we hear. Instead, he just ignored him. And we realize that these sins of omission, even though that he's not doing anything wrong, he still is doing something wrong. And we sometimes judge our morality today in the United States and other places uh, of just saying, well, I'm not hurting anybody, so therefore I'm good, right? 
You know, I, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not causing anybody to be on the street. I'm not, you know, causing any war or any famine. But yet, even though that we might not be actively doing that, we might be called to do that and actually be omitting something that we're supposed to do. And, and, and that's a sin, right? That, that lays on us. And so the rich man is not condemned because he's rich. He's condemned because he doesn't care about God's law and because he omits what he needs to do and is called to do in his riches and in his humanity, right? Now, when, we, uh, when he, the poor man dies, he doesn't get a burial. The rich man does. He says the poor man died and was carried away by the angels, by the angels, right? Whereas the rich man died and he was buried and he went to the netherworld. Now, this uh, is an interesting, uh, again, kind of, it it helps unlock for us a lot of theology on what the netherworld is like. Uh, One of the things, I don't know whether this is confusing for you, but uh, at the creed, we often say the Nicene Creed, where Jesus uh, dies and then rises on the third day. Well, if you pray the Uh, Rosary, often you say the Apostles' Creed, or sometimes we'll pray the Apostles' Creed during the Creed part uh, at different seasons. But during the Apostles' Creed, it says Jesus died and descended into hell. Now this is still a a theological question, and some people uh, kind of saying, well, what does this mean that Jesus descended into hell? Because sometimes hell is described as the absence of God. And so how can Jesus, who is God, descend into hell as he is God, and and hell is the absence of God, so if God goes to where there's the absence of God, well, then he's there, and then it's not the absence of God, and then it's not hell anymore. A little bit confusing philosophically to try to, you know, understand exactly what's going on there. Well, I think this helps us unlock to understand what we mean by the descent into hell. Well, before Jesus died and rose again, the doors of heaven were closed, right? By... uh, Adam, or by e, Adam and Eve's sin, the doors of heaven are closed, and so no one can make it to heaven. But yet, righteous people died in the grace of God, and so what happens with them? Well, here we hear Jesus' story, and he explains this a little bit, right? Uh, and the same word for this netherworld is Gehenna, or hell. And so it's a general term of the nether... nether so when we use the term hell in uh, the Apostles' Creed, this is a general term that's used at this time of the netherworlds, of the dead, of hell, but it's a more general term than what we sometimes think of as hell, as the total absence of God, right? Heaven and hell. This hell term is a little bit more broad, and we see that here because the rich man is carried and buried, and uh, he's uh, carried to the bosom of Abraham. Now, the bosom of Abraham is kind of this right place we think of something very close. And Abraham is the father of faith, right? Someone who righteously lived this out. And the rich man went to the torment in the same place, but yet one is with the bosom of Abraham and one is in torment. And we see that it's the same place because the rich man is able to look up and see Abraham and see Lazarus. Now, One of the kind of ideas is that at the moment of death, we'll face God and we'll have the opportunity to either choose God or reject God. 
And this is kind of a nice thing. And, and we kind of think that, well, anybody who's able to see God and knows, you know, all the things that maybe they did wrong, you know, if you saw God face to face, you'd repent of that. You know, that's what you think. And Lazarus, I think, he, or the rich man kind of here shows kind of what's a little bit more in this. Now, the rich man at this point is experiencing torment. He understands why, right, that he hasn't done what God wanted. But yet he's still, even in torment, not repentant for what he did. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because he doesn't understand what's going on. He says, even in his death, he says to Abraham, why don't you send Lazarus, right? Send Lazarus as a servant, right? As a slave of mine, Lazarus should dip his finger so that I can be you know, a a little bit relieved, right? Even in his torment, even in his loss, even though that he realizes that he should have lived a little bit different, he's still persisting in his sin, in his arrogance of saying, Lazarus, because he's poor, should be my slave, right? Now this also continues to hold true because he tries to send, well, if he can't be a slave in this way because there's this chasm, which, interestingly enough, there's this chasm that doesn't allow, uh, of course, people who are in torment to go to the bosom of Abraham, but it also prevents people from the bosom of Abraham to go and help those in torment. So there's this chasm in between that helps or prevents both from going either way. Interestingly enough, that that has to be even stated. But then the rich man says, well, I beg you. Send Lazarus again. Lazarus is my slave, right? Lazarus is my servant. And so he should be sent to my five brothers who are rich and help them, right? He should do something to help them. And Abraham has this beautiful line that says, you know, if, if, he does, if they don't follow Moses and the prophets, then they won't listen to someone who raises, rises from the dead. I think this is an important question for us because we come sometimes say, well, you know, if Jesus walked again, if he appeared to us, right? If we were able to experience a miracle, then people would change their ways. But Abraham is speaking the truth here through Jesus' story, right? That even if they see someone rise from the dead, that still won't change their ways. They have Moses and the prophets, We have Jesus Christ. And if people aren't willing to listen to Jesus Christ and his church, they probably won't listen to a miracle. They probably won't listen to even if Jesus appears to them. Because there's kind of an obstinance and arrogance in the sin. Now, kind of going back to this hell example of like, uh, of understanding how Jesus descended into hell. Well, when Jesus descended into hell, one of the explanations of that is that he descended into hell, not into the deepest parts of hell where the rich man is, but instead descended to the bosom of Abraham and took those people who were not in heaven, but yet not in torment, who had died in God's grace, and that he brought Abraham and all those like Lazarus into heaven with him. 
And so he descended into this nether world, but he didn't go into necessarily the depths. That not everyone in hell was saved because some people continued to keep their arrogance in sin for that. So, with all that kind of explained, I hope that you read it again and kind of try to uh, try to you know understand a little bit more, soak it in. There's so much more there than even what I just explained. Although I think I explained enough, right? But now the question becomes, okay, so that's great. That's what Jesus' story said. But how does that apply to me? Well, again, I think it's important for us to always realize that Christianity is not a prosperity gospel. Not like what I kind of said earlier, where if I follow Jesus, then I'll always, you know, the crops will always turn out. I'll always get that 30-point buck, right? If I follow Jesus, then, you know, my finances will always, you know, be smooth sailing, right? And if anything happens wrong in my life, if I get cancer, if I know somebody, if I fall and and break a leg, well, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Well, nothing. We're united to Jesus in his suffering, right? And that we're called to follow his commandments, even though that we do at times suffer in the midst of it all. But it also tells us, and it's an important reminder for us, that riches, although riches itself will not send us to hell, riches can be one of the greatest obstacles to heaven. Success can be one of the greatest obstacles to knowing God. And I see that so much, right? And I don't know whether you see that as well, right? People who have everything going, well, I don't need God, right? Not that those, bad, those successes or those riches are inherently bad, but they are obstacles to us. And so when we pray for those, for our family, I encourage you not to pray always for successes and riches and comfort, but instead to pray that God might give them what they need, right? Which might at times be difficulties, might be at times acknowledgments of their need for something more. Because no matter what kind of successes we have here on earth, we all die the same death. We all will eventually die no matter what we have in this world. And then the real question will be, what did we do with our time with what we were given? Lazarus wasn't able to go around and help those who were also sick. But the rich man had the gifts to be able to. What kind of gifts do you have that you are being called to offer the world, to offer Lazarus, to offer those who embody Jesus Christ in the poor around us, whether it's poverty of of a physical nature or whether it's poverty of a spiritual nature. Let us not kid ourselves and just say that as long as we don't do anything bad to people, that we're good. But instead, truly seek to fill, uh, to live out the call that Jesus has called us to, that he, we continue to participate in, not just in his presence here in the altar, but we participate in his death, re- his life, death, and resurrection of love for us and the world. May we unite ourselves to Jesus Christ now and always so that we might be with him 
ultimately in heaven.